We used to drive a, a lot uh, to visit our families and see friends, and uh, this week, Lord willing, we're going to be driving to St. Louis and, and visit with some friends over the Thanksgiving holidays. And back in the day, uh, we drove so much that it justified buying one of those GPS uh, little, I don't even know what you call it, device, I guess. You know, back before every phone was a smartphone and had GPS built into it, uh, we splurged and got one of those. And every time we would program in a course, and you would have to hook it up to the computer and download maps and stuff, it was a mess. So much easier today. But every time we punched in the destination, right, it would ask, do we want to go on the, uh, the, the fastest route or the shortest route for distance? Do we want to avoid toll roads? Uh, do we want to avoid unpaved roads? And whenever I look at this particular portion of God's Word that we're in today, as we continue our series on the God of the groaning, uh, we're in Exodus 13. We, we now fast forward from the calling of Moses through all of the plagues to almost the end of the story, but out to the Exodus proper. And I always think of a GPS at this point as the people of God are set free, Pharaoh has let them go, and they're headed out. And I think, you know, just program it into the GPS, right? Where are you headed? Do you want the shortest distance, the fastest route? Do you want to avoid toll roads? Uh, un Do you want to avoid unpaved roads? Well, you know, 1500 BC, I'm thinking it's all unpaved roads. And in fact, none of those questions do the people get the answer. God answers them. And he answers with, how about a different path? How about the path that is best for you and for me, God says. And no matter how long it takes or how great the obstacles, no matter how hard it is or confusing to you, God says, how about we take that path, the best path? That's what I want to take some time looking at today, uh, the implications of our passage here in Exodus 13 verses 17 through chapter 14, verse 4 of God's holy, inspired, life-directing word. Would you join me, please? Exodus 13, 17 and following. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihaharoth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Lord, would you meet us here, we pray. Open our eyes, our, our hearts. Open our minds, our ears, that your word might direct us, that it might be more than ink on paper, pixels on the screen, sound waves bouncing off of our eardrums. Lord, give, give us life and direction and hope and all that we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So with all of that you know, GPS using, and even to this day, still using the GPS, I'm wondering, have, have, you, have you ever arrived at your destination and, and been like, I don't have any idea how I got here. I just follow the GPS. One time, uh, we bought a van used off of the internet, and I flew to Chicago from Tennessee to pick it up, and I drove from Chicago to Tennessee, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, and when I got home, a few days later, someone said, well, what highway did you take, this one or that one? And I was like, I, have, I don't even know. I was on one highway, I know, for hours in Illinois, and it's just so barren. It's a wasteland, right? And I don't know what highway it was. I followed the GPS. I was just going where it told me to go after I stopped at McDonald's to begin with and got an Egg McMuffin and a coffee. <laughs> In Chicago, then I was gone. I was just trusting the GPS. In fact, uh, we were rewatching a TV series we watched years ago. I think it's probably 15 years old at this point. And and one of the the victims in this uh, murder mystery show was subject to a bad guy who manipulated their GPS and reprogrammed it so they just went to this isolated, barren place, and the bad guy could get them. And it's like you know we don't think about. That, that could happen, right? That's how much we just trust the GPS to give us the directions, to turn right, to go forward, to look for this exit or whatever, right? We trust a guidance system. And brothers and sisters, you know, it does fail. If you remember the early days of Apple and their maps and, you know, people getting the dead ends and just the the, the map gate scandal, they called it, right? They're, they're, they're unreliable, but the, the scriptures give us an image of God as the most reliable guidance system. That when he gives us directions, it's never going to lead us astray. It's going to be challenging very often, right? It's not going to be the shortest path or the, 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 the fastest or the easiest but the Lord is always reliable and he will always lead you on the best path. And our challenge is to listen to him, to pay attention to him, to believe that. The Lord is faithful. So trust him no matter how long the journey nor how difficult the obstacles. That's what uh, comes to my mind as I read this weird thing about Joseph in the middle of our passage and, and his bones here in verse 19. 
Do you remember that part if you've ever read through the, the, the book of Genesis, right? What? Just a little side comment there toward the end of Genesis. When Mo- Joseph says, hey, keep my bones. And when the Lord brings you out of Egypt, take them with you and bury my bones in the promised land. Right? That's how much faith he had. Hundreds of years into the future, he trusted that there would still be a people and that in fact they would be delivered from Egypt. You know, he had that kind of faith. And in fact, he's honored in Hebrews eleven twenty two for that faith that looked even beyond death itself, trusting that God would provide, that he is that reliable. And that's where we're coming at this passage from that perspective of trusting the Lord, that his path is always going to be best. And the first thing we see as we unpack this passage is that the Lord's path is best in part because it always leads to your good. It always leads to your good. In fact, the Lord leads from harm to good. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh had let the people go, I'm going to stop right there. When Pharaoh had let the people go, if you read through the last several chapters of Exodus, you would know that is a massive understatement. When Pharaoh let them go, it's like he was just sitting there, oh, they're all slaves and everything. You know, it's a Friday, five o'clock. Let's just let them go. No, no, the whole story up to this point from about Exodus chapter 6 now through chapter 13 is Pharaoh's continual resistance to letting the people go and the Lord's continued opposition to Pharaoh's stubbornness, driving him to the point where Pharaoh really had no other choice but to destroy completely and utterly his own nation or let the people go. And he did let them go. After all of the plagues, after all of God's intervention, miraculously, after God acted so decisively with the final plague that the people didn't even have time to let their bread finish baking, they just headed out that quickly from the land of Egypt. That's when Pharaoh let the people go. That's the time frame that we're looking at here in our passage where They have just now come out. The Lord has led them out on the best path from harm to good. And in fact, what we see also is the Lord bypasses the worst. That the Lord bypasses the worst. Verse 17 continues. When Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You could translate that uh, phrase, the way of the land of the Philistines, as the the Philistine road. right? Like you might have, oh, say, Baltimore Pike. Or in the city, Baltimore Avenue. You might have Lancaster Pike or in the city, Lancaster Avenue. right? Those roads are named for their destination. If you followed Baltimore Pike... Where would you wind up? In Baltimore, right? If you follow the Lancaster Pike, where would you wind up? In Lancaster, right? The outlets, right? That's where you'd wind up. Or Sight and Sound. That's a better place to go, right? They're named for the destinations. This is really 
the Lord not leading them on the road to Philistia. He doesn't want them to head there, not because of anything about the Philistines or anything at this point, but in fact, because we know from the background material that the area from Egypt, as they were to head out to the east, up along this road that went along the coast of the Mediterranean, that all along that road, heading toward Philistia, heading toward the Promised Land, heading up that way, were Egyptian military garrisons periodically put along the road. It was a militarized zone, and they had a good communication network. And so if the people headed that way, there's no way those garrisons were going to let the people pass without engaging them. They would see war and conflict, and the Lord knew they weren't ready for it. We don't know how well armed they were. It's unlikely they had much, you know, at all to fight with. They're heading out. They've been slaves. And in fact, the last season of their slavery was horrible. They were brutally oppressed. They're, they've not been eating well. They're scraping by. They're not ready for battle. And in fact, it seems like the Lord knows that if they, if they were in a conflict with Egypt that amounted to anything significant, they would just say, we give up. We'll go back. So the Lord doesn't lead them on that path. The Lord bypasses the worst for them. And he does that no matter how long the journey takes. He will lead you on the best path from harm to good, bypassing the worst, no matter how long the journey takes. Look at verse 18. God, did not, or God didn't lead them on that way. Verse 18, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Rather than taking the shortest path, the Lord led them toward the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. If you're reading in the ESV or the NIV, uh, it translates that last bit a little differently, where the NASB, which we're using, has martial array. ESV has uh, equipped for battle. NIV has armed for battle. Uh, the expression is, is literally by 50s in the Hebrew. It's by 50s. And the sense of it is often in a military context where they're in ranks of you know, units and battalions, whatever you want to think of the terms as, they would go on. That's what armies did. Uh, but it doesn't literally say equipped for battle. It doesn't say armed for battle. It just says they were arranged by 50s. And given the fact that God says he doesn't want them, they're not ready for war, I think the NASB's translation of martial array, they're, they're, they're arranged in an orderly fashion as if they were an army. And if you're trying to move thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you got to have some order and some organization. And so that seems to be the sense here where they're not ready for battle. They're organized just for the practical logistics of heading out and going anywhere together in that massive group of people, which may have numbered well over a million people. So that they're formed up, they're heading out. The Lord doesn't lead them on the shortest path. He takes them on a longer journey, bypassing the worst so they're not overwhelmed, not tempted to return to their former condition. And the Lord is continuing to work for good for his people. He takes care of his people. 
leading them by a longer path if that's what it takes for their good. You know, it's not clear in the text how much the people knew about their destination, where they were headed. Moses has mentioned to Pharaoh that we want to go out in the wilderness and worship God. Uh, They've mentioned, he's mentioned numerous times, the promised land as the ultimate destination. Uh, The people, if they know their history, would know God had made promises to them that they would come back to the promised land. Would they, regular person, we don't know how much they knew of the destination. But we know, right? We know the promise of God. And we can see in in this that, that the Lord had promised he would bring his people out. And we see in the example of of Joseph of entrusting his bones being brought back that that there is a necessity of faith in all of this. To trust that the Lord is going to do what he promises to do. That he is utterly reliable. No matter how it feels and how we experience it horizontally, what we see in front of us and the obstacles, the length of time that it takes to get there. We need to keep coming back to this reality that the Lord has a different timeline. And it's the one that puts us on the best path, the one for our good. And and the question was, do you believe that? And you probably have, if you reflect on your life at all, some examples that you know of. Like like we have these experiences periodically. I mentioned traveling, right? We were up here visiting my mom when we still lived in Tennessee. And we were heading out from Delaware and we got as far as Elkton, Maryland. That's about 15 minutes from my mom's house. When one of our kids got really sick, and that's all I'm going to say. They got really sick. And we pulled in that Wawa on Elkton Road, and we had to spend maybe 45 minutes taking care of that situation. Right 15 minutes into our journey. And we headed back on the highway, eventually exhausted, tired, like, oh. We didn't have a deadline to be anywhere, but still, you know, We were mindset of going. We went along, traveling fine. About an hour from our home, we were driving through Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was unusually dark. Streetlights seemed to be out. We're on the highway, but it just seemed dark. We needed to get off for one last pit stop, if you know what I mean. We had to find a place for refreshment and rest. And we get off, and it's even darker. And we notice billboards are strangely mangled and twisted. I don't remember that last time we were here. Do you remember that? Restaurants are closed, fast food places. Nothing's open. We're driving along. Nothing's open. It turns out, maybe 45 minutes before this, there was a tornado or very strong winds of some sort that came through that area. Right around the time we would have been driving through there, if we didn't have the unfortunate delay of dealing with someone being really sick. You know, that was one of those times where it just hit all of us. Wow, we maybe need a different perspective on the obstacles in our lives and about the Lord's timetable. We need to trust that, you know what? If we're delayed, it's not messing up God's plan. In fact, it might be part of his plan to provide for us. And you don't always get to see those. That's rare. But when you do see them, make sure you thank God for that and recognize the Lord has done this so many times. I think of how foolish I was as an unbelieving young man. I didn't get saved and come to know the Lord until I was 25 years old. And I did some really stupid, foolish things with my life. 
things that could have gone horribly wrong. And God spared me from them. Unbelievable grace and mercy. And that's that perspective we need to, in a passage like this and in those experiences, we need to just dwell on it for a moment and recognize, you know, when we're delayed, when, when things aren't going our way, when obstacles arise, when challenges hit us, maybe God's doing something. Always we can trust Him. Always we can trust Him. Always. He's always reliable. Even when the outcomes seem potentially bad to us. Even, you know, when the food doesn't quite get there when we want it to, right? Or the person in front of us doesn't go right when the light turns green. Or maybe better yet, we start rolling forward as the light is turning green, right? That's why it says, wait for green. Why do we need those signs at traffic lights? Because we're impatient. Because we're just thinking now. And the Lord is faithful. You know, and the, the test, if you really believe that, is to view your circumstances, especially the obstacles that come in your life. How do you feel about them? I mean, do you rant and rave when things don't go your way? How long do you dwell on them? So we all have those moments where we're at our limit. But how long do you dwell on them? Do you keep... Oh, if only. Are you still looking at you know, what you should have said or done differently 10 years ago? You know, you're doing in that is failing to trust the Lord is still working for your good. Because He's a God who can redeem even horrible circumstances, even the worst. He will always bring out something good. You might not see it. Most of the time you won't in your own life. You may see it in, in the rearview mirror as we've talked about in the last few weeks. But you see it here in the Scriptures again and again and again that the Lord always leads you on the best path. And it's the path that leads not only to your good, though. And here's what makes it hard. It's a path that leads not only to your good, but it leads to His glory. Every path He intends for your good and God's glory. And that's our second point. Look at uh, how the Lord leads. He, he leads. I mean, boom. And I, I would characterize it this way. The Lord leads obviously. He leads in obvious ways. Verse 21, chapter 3. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The Lord is leading very obviously for them. A high contrast pillar of some sort. Uh, not sure exactly what it was, but in the daytime, it's a cloud, maybe dark cloud that's just swirling, maybe something in front of them with fire in it or something. We don't know for sure. And then at night, what? It's a high contrast thing. It's got the fire. You can't miss it. Day or night, you can't miss that the Lord is there leading his people. When it heads out, they head out. That's the way he made it. He's leading in this obvious way. And I sometimes wonder, you know, what would it be like if, you know, at 6.06 a.m. when the alarm goes off, you know, there's a pillar of fire right there, a cloud, right? 
depending on the season of the year, it might be a cloud or it might be fire. Uh, it's pretty dark in the morning sometimes. No. But we don't have that. Do you have that? I, don't, I personally don't have a pillar guiding me in obvious ways. But, so what do we have? I wonder, is there any way that God is leading us today? Oh, I know. The Bible. Right? God has spoken in His Word, given us these stories and instructions and examples. It's about the most obvious way you can be led. Have you ever assembled any furniture or put together a bike or anything else? What's in it, right? Instructions from the creator of that product saying, here's how you put it together. And too often nowadays, though, they're like translated from Chinese into English and then back again and you just like, you can't understand it. But that's not the way God's word is. It's understandable. And it's intended to guide us and to lead us. That's why we have it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says it very clearly. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. God gave us His Word. Now, we don't need a pillar of fire. We've got His Word. Romans 15.4 Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. God is giving us His Word to lead us obvious ways to speak to us in our circumstances on top of that god himself united with humanity by coming in the flesh in the person of jesus christ to show us what it would look like to actually apply the word of god day in and day out in regular life jesus came and did just that modeling for us that's not the only thing he did but that is one of the things he did in coming to earth in fact, Paul echoes that, that that's an example for us. He says, follow me as I follow Christ again and again. You know, Jesus came to say, follow me. We, we saw that a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 1. He called the fishermen, right? I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Watch how I live, Jesus says. Uh, and what did he do? He, he applied God's word to his life. He, he beat the devil with Deuteronomy. Again and again, looking to God's Word, being led, obviously, God has provided that. And the thing is, though, right, it's not just that God leads, obviously, giving us His Word, giving them the pillar of fire. But the thing is, He leads us in those clear ways into places of discomfort. That's, that's the struggle, right? Look at uh, verse... Chapter 4, verse 1, or 14, Exodus 14, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihaharot, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite by the sea. So he says a couple of things there that are important to notice. He says, Turn back. You're going that way, probably up this way. He says, Turn back, go back that way, and, and go by the sea. And camp by the sea, he says twice. It's oddly specific and repetitive there. And, and the sense seems to be that they, they're going to look like they don't know where they're going. They're going to look like they don't have guidance, like they don't have directions, like, like their GPS is not working. Right? They're going to head back. And they're actually more than that, putting themselves in a place where they are hemmed in 
by wilderness all around and by a body of water they can't cross. They basically are trapped by water and wilderness. And I think the short assessment of this is that God has made them to be bait. Like you would put a worm on a hook and drop it in the water. God for his glory and for their good is saying to Pharaoh, hey, look, they're vulnerable. Look, they're lost in the wilderness. They don't know what they're doing. And Pharaoh is in his own heart and by God's design at the same time saying, what am I doing? Why did I let them go? Look, I'm going to go get them back. Look, they don't know what they're doing. Let's go take them. Verse 3 of chapter 14 continues. Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Maybe they're afraid to head out in the wilderness. Whatever, he seems to think. Verse 4, the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. For what purpose? I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, that I am the true and living God, that I alone am the God of gods and Lord of lords, that there is no other God. The Lord had already demonstrated this. The plague struck so many of the gods, so-called, of Egypt. The Nile and the sky, the weather, the land, all of those things. The plague struck them, even up to Pharaoh himself, who is believed to be a son of the gods. God had shown his power over them, and he's not done because they still don't get it. And so God will, for his own glory and the ultimate good of his people, bring this about. Exodus 14.10, we see the response of the people. As Pharaoh drew near, Pharaoh says, I'm going to go get him. Musters his chariots, his armies, everybody come out full force. Verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bring us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. There is so much wrong with what they're saying, but there is so much relatable, is there not? Like if we're really honest, I mean, God has given us so, so much. And a little bump in the road pops up and we're like, ah, oh, this is just utterly terrible. There's this trend and this thread that if we don't deal with it, that we have a negative, cynical view on life. We have a view that dismisses even the, the things that God just did five minutes ago. Grumbling and the complaining. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the wilderness? It would be easy to bury us out here, I guess. Because we're going to die. 
Why did you do this to us? We said, leave us alone to serve the Egyptians. Man, we were happy. What? You know, it's, it, there's just so much in this. You can understand, though, of course, what the fear. The fear of the enemy coming at them. They're, they're not prepared for battle. They're not prepared for war. The, the superpower, you know, it would be as if, you know, the whole U.S. military gathered to then, you know, march into, I don't know, uh, somewhere small. I can't think of anything. <laughs> I don't know. Haiti or something, right? Where there's so limited resources, right? And you just have millions, you know, a superpower with aircraft carrier off the shore and jets and, you know, landing party. All It's just... It would be overwhelming. You kind of understand that, right? So what do you do? Like, it's kind of understandable. You have the emotional response. You have your, your fears rising up. What do you do? I mean, look at what they've got right in front of them. Are they not looking at the pillar right there? That's the problem, right? We turn away from the ways that God guides us and the, 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 the provision that he gives us to what's right in front of us. Oh, the enemy is really, really big. Where's the enemy? We'll read a little later in chapter 14, if you keep going, that the, the enemy is behind them. So they have turned from the pillar, which a little later, by God's grace, will up and move from there to then interpose himself between the people and Pharaoh. Because the pillar is leading them into the sea. God's about to do a miracle in splitting the Red Sea. That's the way they're going. They don't consider it because, no, there's no way I could pass through that sea. We've got to go this way. And what's back that way? Ah, it's Pharaoh and all of us. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And nobody's looking at God because you've turned your back on him. You're not going to find his guidance if you turn your back on him, you're going to see insurmountable obstacles. You're going to see terrifying things that will have you running every which way because you're not looking the right way. If you look to the Lord and we don't have the pillar of fire and the cloud, right? We have his word that he speaks to us through his word that he leads us obvious ways into places of discomfort. And you need to know that ahead of time. Stop listening to those who will lie to you and present you with this truth that God wants you in this life to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, uh, wonderful skin and big cars and your own private jets or anything else, whatever it is, with jewelry and relationships that are all perfect and shiny as if they just walked into real life off of Instagram or something, right? That is a lie, from the pit. It's a lie from the pit. You might have those things. And I pray you do. What God does promise is to guide you. To never leave you nor forsake you. Through the challenges and the obstacles, He will always be leading you to what is for your good 
and his glory. And in fact, it is if you pull those things together that you can handle this tension that you have to walk in. Because your good is secondary to his glory. The things that accomplish his glory are very often things that feel kind of hurtful. That cause you to suffer a little bit. That cause you to experience loss and brokenness. Right? They're harmful, but they're not for your hurt. They're harmful that you might be freed from the things that will break you and kill you. In fact, God ushered in the curse on Adam and Eve because of their sin. Because he didn't want them to experience the fullness of life and all that he offers with a rebellion and death at the end. In fact, God says, I'm going to make life a little challenging for you. And in fact, I'm going to make life ultimately end in death. Because you need to know this life is not all there is. You need to know that there's something more important than your physical life existence. There is a relationship with me. And there's a way that I want to lead you to. And it will ultimately lead to prosperity and health and unending life. But the only way that's going to happen is if you listen, God says. If you trust me, and I've done what is necessary, he says, if you will believe in my promises and follow me. And where does he lead us? He leads us from heaven to earth. Jesus came in the flesh to walk among us to die and accomplish what we could never do. Jesus has gone through death itself and risen victorious. That's our confidence. Fix your eyes on Jesus, as the hymn says, right? Follow where he leads. And just think about that. If you're following where he leads, that means you're heading toward death. You're heading towards suffering. But ultimately, none of those obstacles are going to overwhelm you or overtake you ultimately because you're going to rise. If you're following Jesus, that's where he heads. He rises. And he comes through it all with scars. He comes through it all to a place of peace, life, hope, unending good that's where he's headed because God is leading you to place for your good but also a place for his glory where he leads obviously and he leads to a place of discomfort and ultimately he's leading you where he alone gets honored if you're looking at the enemy and if you're consumed by the circumstances and you don't look at where he's leading and guiding, you're never going to go to the place where he gets the glory. Because if you win facing that direction, who wins? You. That somehow you did it in your strength. Somehow it was your uh, physical knowledge. Somehow it was your education. Somehow it was your skills, right? But if you win facing the Lord because he's fought the battle if you win facing him, when the, the odds are so far stacked against you, who gets the glory? God. You know, if we're facing the Lord, if we're trusting the Lord, he's going to put us in those places where it's challenging and where the only real solution is going to be he has to do something. And if it's where he took us, he will do something. 
I've seen this so many times in my life. I just experienced it this last Tuesday night. We had our, a presbytery meeting, which is a collection of, of elders of the churches in our area, in our denomination. And we've been having this really challenging situation where there was uh, a, a discipline situation where a church didn't handle a situation well, and, and they admitted it, but then they didn't admit it. And it was just, it's, there's, I can't get into the details. And there became, through all of that, a lot of hurt and a lot of brokenness and really smart, Bible-believing, faithful people said hurtful things to each other. And it, it didn't look like from the meetings we had had that anything would ever change. But it did. And at the last meeting, in fact, one of the brothers in our presbytery stood up and, and it was just a season of a couple people sharing I'm sorry, I kind of doubted God was working in this. And he was. And it's beautiful. And I don't know which was more impressive to me, that we got to see God working in that situation, or that this guy shared that he didn't believe God was working in this situation, now he sees it, that now I'm saying that, and now I'm saying to you that God is working. I've seen hard-hearted people that I had no hope were going to change. And I was fearing meeting with them and having to talk to them. And before I could even open my mouth and say anything, they just broke down in tears and said, I've been such a fool. I'm so sorry. Help me make this thing right. That's a place you're only going to get to if you train yourself to follow the Lord. When the giant army's not over there, train yourself to follow the Lord. On the little things, have those conversations where someone has offended you and you can't let go of it, you can't overlook it. Have the conversation. Oh, it's so hard. And it, it doesn't get much easier. But reach out and say, you know, I'm even own that. You know, I don't know what to say. I feel like Jesus says I should talk to you. Matthew 18 says, if, you know, do the flip side too. If someone has, uh, you think you've hurt someone else, go to them. Say, have I somehow hurt you? Those kind of things. You know, there are so, so many examples, brothers and sisters, of where if we will listen to what he says, we'll, we'll not only have the guidance but we'll bring him the glory. And he put us in this, not just so that we would individually have this pillar here, but in fact, he says in his word that he has made us, the church, a pillar and ground of the truth. In 1 Timothy 3, 15 or 16. That it's actually us together following the Lord's guidance that, that brings the truth, that leads us into those places. It's how we will persevere. And that includes, you know, sacrificial things like just making meals for people and driving further away to give them to them by giving to deacons funds and things like that, serving in children's ministry. Like these are the little things that maybe we don't feel like doing. That if we will just step out where the Lord is leading, if you don't know where the Lord is leading you to serve, Talk to some of the elders, some of the people you know, and say, where do you think God would want me to serve? And then just try it. And see what the Lord does. Because He's always going to lead you on the best path. He's reliable. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. Will you pray with me?
Lord Jesus. Like a shepherd, lead us. We need your tender care. We are yours. Tend and feed us. Make yourself so attractive and compelling in our eyes that we can't turn from you. And when we do and we see the obstacles, give us the habit of turning back to you. Lord, give us in your grace and mercy eyes to see the victories you've provided. Maybe that we forgot about. Maybe that we haven't thought of for years or maybe that just happened this morning. Give us those eyes to see, those ears to hear wonderful things that we might not be satisfied with making our own effort, but turn to you for your guidance. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.